Well, high five somebody next to you. Let them know that you're glad that they're here. Fist bumps are okay. Smile so they know that you mean it. We're going to jump right into this today. Excited to be with you. Somebody's running for their sanitizer already. They're like, I'm smiling, but I'm going to grab my little... <laughs> it's good to be here with you all today, and we just want to welcome you to Life City again. We're going to jump into the Word, but before we do that, coming up, um, we're coming up on our clothing drive for Thanksgiving, so we want you to begin to bring um, any of your gently used um, clothing and other things that we can. We're partnering with Cup of Love, who does a big outreach every year, so we're just going to continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the community. We're going give, to give what we can give, and people will be blessed and changed and encouraged by that. How many of you ready to get into the Word today? Oh, a couple of you. All right. Excited about it. Well, we're jumping right in. We just finished a series called Direction um, and talking about how it's important to just be glued and locked into the Word of God and to be connected and have uh, uh, to be walking with God so we have the direction that He has for our lives. But I want to get into this this series that will be the entire month, um, A Heart for the House, and, and talk, we're talking about building passion and love for the church again. How many of you know that the church is actually God's idea? You know, and you hear all kinds of things for different reasons, you know, people are like, well, I'm tired of church, and I don't really do church, I do kingdom, but the, the challenge with that is that the church was God's idea, um, and then the Bible tells us that Christ is the head of the church, and it says that, that we, as members together, are the body of Christ or the church, so he loves the church. Um, even if it hasn't always been represented the way that it should. Can we say amen? So we want to jump right in here to this, this first message of this, A Heart for the House, and I'm talking today about priorities, purpose, and passion. Um, and I saw an illustration. I wish it was my own, but it wasn't, and I wish I had a bow and arrow, but I don't. But if you can imagine um, in your mind, the, the pastor was doing this illustration. He was using it for a different reason um, of a bow and arrow and how you, before the, the, the arrow shoots forward, the thing has to be pulled back um, first. And this message today is really um, going to be a pulling back message. It's, it's going to create a little bit of tension uh, in our hearts and our minds, but the idea, if you, if you picture yourself as that arrow, you got to be pulled back so you can get thrust forward. Can we say amen? And so, talking about purpose, priorities, uh, priorities purpose, and passion, um, I want to draw from the Old Testament, even though we're talking about the church, because there's a a story in the Old Testament that actually helps us to understand uh, the priority that God gives uh, to his house. And to really understand the background of it, the children of Israel had been in exile for 70 uh, years, um, and they were coming out of exile. And it really begins with a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah had gotten word that um, the entire city was in ruins and that the wall of Jerusalem was uh, broken down. And so when you have and so he gets this burden on his heart uh, to go and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that the people of God wouldn't be a reproach anymore. And so that's coupled at the same time with a man named Ezra who's uh, commissioned to rebuild the temple. So we're talking about at the same time the, the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the wall um, in the house of God. Why are you giving all this background? Because to, to get to what I want to get to today, this has to really be ingrained into us first. Um, and so really to understand what I'm going to say to you, you have to understand five different books of the Bible to get the full picture. It actually is Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Uh, and so we have God commissioning 
his people to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the temple. And then in the last three books of the Old Testament, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, is the response, the collective response of God's people. And just like um, in, in the Bible, you'll find that when God commissions and he calls us and he fires up to, us up to do something, sometimes the enemy comes and attacks us. And when he attacks us, we can become apathetic and passive about what God actually wants us to do. How many of you have been so beat up sometimes in your life that you didn't even feel like going anymore? You know, you, you, you wanted to. You knew there was something in your heart that God wanted you to do. You knew that he had vision and purpose for your life, but your mind and your body were under so much attack, you didn't even feel like you could uh, go forward. There was, there was just a little bit of passion left inside of you. And it's not any different from what we're talking about here. And so here's what happens. They, they have been now commissioned by God to go and rebuild his temple and rebuild his wall um, so that he could be glorified in it. But... <laughs> They had become passive and apathetic, and the, word, the, the work of God had stopped because they uh, didn't feel like that was their priority. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, and some people are like, Haggai? I mean, that was in the Bible. Yeah, it's two, two chapters in the Bible that are somewhat obscure but very profound when we get to it. And so this is what the prophet says. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to rebuild, to be built. So remember what I told you, that God had told them it was time for them to rebuild. In other words, they had been in captivity. God brought them out. He set them free just like he does with us in salvation. But then they said, wait a minute, it's not time for us to do what you want us to do. Here's the first point I want to give you. Procrastination is a hindrance to purpose. How many of you know that there's some things that we need to do, but we're just sitting there waiting on God to do them? You ever been there, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, and I, sometimes I think if the Lord answered us back, he'd be like, well, I'm just waiting on you. <laughs> you know, there's some things, we can't put everything on God. There's some things that God says, okay, I need you to take a step of faith. I need you to begin to move in the direction that I have for your life. Well, I can't figure it out. I don't know how I'm going to do this and how I'm going to do that. Sometimes all he's asking you is to take that one next step to believe that he has something for you. But the cure to procrastination is proper priorities. It's proper priorities. Sometimes, and I've said this many times to some of our people, that we expect God and we want God to move from the bottom of our priority list. In other words, we're praying hard, God, do this, do that, move in my life, move that. But he's all the way at the bottom. He's, he's the last thing on our mind. We don't wake up with him on our mind. We don't, we don't go to work and, and deal with our families with him on our mind. It's kind of, we've all been there where God was kind of the emergency out. Anybody? Oh, okay. We, God was kind of, you know, I'm going to pray to God because I need him to get me out of this jam. But really, he wants us to walk with him every day. And that doesn't mean that you, you're carrying your Bible around, but he should be on our hearts and be on our minds on a regular basis. And so we don't want to procrastinate in moving in the direction that God has for us. But in order for us to do that, we have to have proper priorities. Verses 3 and 4 says this, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet again, saying, Is it time? Watch this. For you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate. Remember I told you about the arrow, the pulling back? Here's what happens. Many of us over, over in our present time, we have come into church. We've come into the house of God. And really it's been God coming. I'm coming so you can fix my relationship. God, I'm coming so you can move in my finances. I'm coming so you can do this. But God wants us to shift that around. And it sounds a lot like Matthew 6.33, to seek his kingdom first. And then all of these things that we're worried about will be added to us. Now, you, did I, did you realize that sometimes God asks us to do things that don't make sense. 
Like, hey, uh, you're my child, so don't worry about tomorrow. And you're like, God, you know this is due tomorrow, that's due tomorrow, I got this doctor's appointment, but you're telling me don't worry about tomorrow. It doesn't make any sense at all. And then when somebody else comes up to you and says, don't worry about tomorrow, inside, you get mad at them even though you're smiling. You don't know what I'm going through. I'm about to get put out of my house tomorrow. You're telling me don't worry about tomorrow? I didn't tell you, Jesus did. Don't you know he's got your tomorrow taken care of? If you put him first. He's got your tomorrow taken care of. But these people, just like us, uh, they thought that it was more important for them to take care of their own house at that time while the house of God laid in ruins. And he's saying, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. I want you to look at this next phrase because this is something that we don't do. We look at everything else but this. Look at what's happening to you. The King James says, consider your ways. In other words, he says, every now and then we've got to stop and look at our life and say, look at what's happening to you. Where are you right now? Throughout the entire Bible, we see these periods where God talks to people to bring their attention to where they are right now. He did it with Adam when he messed up. He said, Adam, where are you? And he does it with these people. He says, look at what's happening to you. Now, you might... You might, something might check in your spirit when you start listening to this. You've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them into pockets filled with holes. You ever felt like that? Man, everything that comes in just goes out. You got excited on Friday on payday and crying on Saturday. (laughs) You know how it is. You were, the big, you, were the, you were big as the president on Friday when payday came around. Like, man, I shouldn't have went to Burlington. <laughs> what are we going to eat? <laughs> no, I'm messing around. No, but that's what is happening here. It, because they didn't prioritize properly, it wasn't that they weren't making it. It wasn't that anything wasn't coming in, but everything that came in was going out. Our progress is often a result of the way we view God's priorities. How many of you know God loves you enough that he'll do certain things to get your attention? He he loves you enough that he'll bring you to a place where he has to have your complete attention. Because left to ourselves, everything going okay all the time, we forget about God. We do, be honest, we do. No, I got it, man. How's it going, man? I'm walking in the favor of God. Haven't prayed in three weeks, but you're walking in the favor of God. Different message. Our progress is often the result of the way we view God's priorities. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, honestly, take honest inventory of your life. How am I viewing God's priorities? Is God kind of, is it kind of, I love him so that he can do what I want him to do? Is it kind of, I serve him so I can get what I need when I need it? Or is it, God, I'm surrendered to you. I'm surrendered to your plan. I'm surrendered to your purpose for my life. Is my heart aligned with the heart of God? It's so, you, you, when somebody's heart is in something, you can tell. You know, I'll prove it to you. Remember when you were trying to get that man's attention? Or that woman's attention? First time, I got it. I, I, you know, you did everything. Put on deodorant. <laughs> Had some breath mints. Oh, I'm getting ready to go over a house, man. Let me pop these mints in real quick. 20 Tic Tacs. Because you wanted to make sure you made a good impression. You did everything. You made sure. Some of us, 
You don't iron anything, man, but you iron something that day. Some of us just throw it in the dryer. Y'all don't know about that. <laughs> but my point is this. You, when, when, you, when your heart was in her or your heart was into him, you did whatever it took to make sure you made a good impression. And my question to you is, where is your heart with God? Or do you wake up saying, Lord, what can I render to you? What can I do for you? What can I, what can I give you this day? How can I be pleasing in your sight this day? Or is it kind of, you know, all right, God. I just kind of do the God thing. Kind of put him to the side. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Again, same thing. If you have a paper Bible, underline this because you'll see this phrase four or five times in this book. Look at what's happening to you. If we're honest as believers and we, we, we're honest when we worship, when we pray, when we get into the word of God, sometimes when we take an honest look at ourselves, we don't like what we see. We love God. But we have to be honest and say, wait a minute, I haven't put certain things in the place they need to be. And in his mercy, he says, you know what, that's not just you. That's me showing you your own heart so I can bring you back to the right place. And so we get confused and God doesn't show us things to condemn us, but he shows us to bring conviction in our lives so the first thing can be first again. Give you another example. I want this to really hit home. You, you wives, what happens if... Your husband goes out and he makes sure that everybody else's house is taken care of, but he comes home and you're starving. You would say his priorities are out of balance, right? He's, and he'd say, well, it's a good thing. I'm making sure everybody's taken care of, but he didn't put first thing first. And the same thing in the, the house of God and the things of God, because God is first in our life, we have to wake up saying, God, I'm putting you first in life. Order my steps. Show me what to do. Show me what to say. Show me how to be a reflection of your love and your grace and your mercy this day. That's how you put him first. Our present conditions are often the fruit of our present priorities. Our present conditions are often the fruit of our present priorities. So when you look at this, as you picture again God pulling that, that, that bow and arrow back in your life right now, ask yourself honestly, where are my priorities right now? What fills my heart right now? What fills my mind right now? Show me. And what you'll find out is a lot of times the condition of your life lines up exactly with the priorities that you have. My daughter showed me the other day that the priorities of my stomach are apparently fried chicken. She's sitting there making fun of me, poking at my belly. She said, Daddy, you, you look like you're having a baby like mommy. And I'm like, man, my priorities, my eating priorities are out of order. In other words, they're going to show. Your priorities are going to show. But God gives us the answer just like he did here. He tells his people now, underline that word now, highlight it in your Bible. So, again, we said procrastination prevents purpose, but he says now, which if we read the Bible too fast, we'll miss the point. Because we say everything is for tomorrow, everything's for next week. No, God says now. Go up into the hills bring down timber, all the stuff we're saying we want God to do, right? <laughs> and rebuild what? My house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. A, a life of blessing starts with God's glory and not our desires. And this is the hardest part of being a pastor and, and leading a church in this culture now because we think that other people's priorities are first. And so we try to operate like Walmart. <laughs> Let's just have everything you need when you need it 
And it'd be, but the reality is, is we've got to place the honor and the glory of God first. And if we do that, you'll get everything you need. See, but it's about what's first. And so I've got to ask myself, will this, even, even when I'm, I'm preparing the message to preach, will this message bring glory to God? As much as, you know, I, I love you all, so I'm like, man, I pray the message helps the people, it curses the people, helps them grow. But before all of that, it's like, God, will you be pleased? Is this what you want to say today? Lord, what if they don't say amen or don't clap their hands? As long as he's pleased, you'll be blessed and you'll grow. So thinking about that, Lord, how now can I live a life that brings you honor and brings you glory? It'll change the way you go on your job. It'll change the way you deal with your family. It'll change the way you deal with with every aspect of your life. If you just ask God, would you be pleased? So do you realize that half of the arguments we have is because we don't stop and ask ourselves that question? Somebody poked you the wrong way and you just got to get it out. Lord, would you want me to say that in this given situation? Lord, will, this, will these words bring you honor and glory in this position? No, we don't do that because we're going to give them a piece of our mind. He tried me. And you know how some of y'all women are. I, I don't know how you talk to your little friends. <laughs> Let me get out of y'all house today. Let's keep going. You hope for rich harvest. This is how we do. We live every day praying. We hope for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Here's what I want you to understand. This is not a principle or a note on the slide, but I want you to have this. It's free. We got to stop calling everything the devil. For years, we put everything on the devil. The devil, you know, the devil is busy. Let me tell you, the devil ain't that busy in some of our lives. God said, in this case, it wasn't the devil, it was me. Because I wasn't in my proper place, I blew it away. Why? Isn't it? When you read the Bible, it's like taking an open book test. Because he doesn't just say, I blew it away and leave it there. But he says, why? Because what? My house lies in ruins, says the Lords of Heaven's army, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because you, of you that the heavens withheld their due and the earth produces no crops. This is, let me tell you why in our culture we don't understand priority with God. Because in their culture, if they didn't obey God, God just said don't rain. And everything was dependent on, they, they could put the seed in the ground, they could line it up properly, they could do all of it right. And if God said it wasn't going to rain, nothing was going to happen. But because we are so resourceful in our time, we don't have to depend on God nearly as much as they did. Could you imagine you, 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 you're sitting there and God says, okay, you know what? I'm not a priority. Heavens, no more rain. And there's nothing you can do about it. See, some of us, you get, we get fired for one job and we can go to another one. Or we can figure out, we can move this here and move this here and make it work. They could make it work. But here's the answer. Here's the good news. The answer to drought is always obedience. The answer to a drought in our life is always obedience. God never just shows us, and this is where I think we we can mess up. Some of us are very good at telling people what they do wrong. Some of us has the the gift of criticism. And so we can line up everything that, that they did wrong, but we don't ever show them how to get out of what they're in. You ever, you ever been, you, some of us have family members like that. They can remind you of everything you used to do and everything you used to be. But thank God that when he calls something 
to our attention that he also gives us the answer to get out of what we are in. How many of you came in, be honest, and say, I'm in something I got to get out of? One person. Well, God, in his mercy and in his grace, he gives us the answer just like he did to them. He said, the answer to drought is always obedience. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shittel, and Joshua, son of Josetek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, for the people feared the Lord. Even right now, as I'm preaching, or when you're praying and God reveals something to you, what you do in response can change your life. What you do in response to the word of God can either keep you where you are or thrust you forward. And many of us, our blessings are delayed because our obedience is delayed. Sometimes, everything is not God... You know, we're talking about it's in God's timing. Some of these things that God wants to do, he's moving exactly at the pace of our obedience. He's saying, you know what? As soon as you obey me here, I'll move here. Well, you know, pastor, the Bible says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And we want to call that, but every, that doesn't apply to everything. Sometimes you're not waiting on the job. You need to write down on that application. That's what he's waiting on you to do. Sometimes, well, I'm always walking in fear and this and that and the other. Well, sometimes he's waiting on you to just grab a hold of the promises of the word of God and begin to speak them over your life. How many of you have been desperate for a word of encouragement and it didn't come? Because you, God was teaching you had to learn to encourage yourself. So everything is not waiting on God. And here in this case, they realized that God had sent these prophets to tell them to rebuild his house and so they obeyed and they feared God. We often want God to speak without a purpose. I just want to hear the voice of God. I just want him to talk to me like he talks to uh, that person over there. There's such a prayer warrior. God is always talking to them, but he never talks to me. And God is saying, I would talk to you, but you never move. <laughs> but we want to, to become people who move in, on the purposes of God. When we often want him to speak without a purpose. God has a reason every time he speaks. If you go from Genesis on, you'll find that whenever he spoke to somebody, and you've heard me say this before, he speaks to move them from where they are to where he wants to take them. If you know me, I'm not a big person for small talk. <laughs> I mean, small talk is okay. Some people like it, but I'm not just a big person that wants to talk for hours about nothing. You know, if we're going to have a conversation, let's have a conversation with a purpose that's going. So, you know what I mean? We can laugh. We can joke. Even that's a purpose. But have something. Don't just, hey, you know, man, they say the weather is going to be bad. I don't care. <laughs> Talk to me about something I care about. You know? No, but, but my point is, <laughs> you ever have those conversations where people are just talking and you zone out? You're doing like this, but you didn't hear anything they said. And you're like, you hear me? You hear me? Yeah, I heard you. I heard you. What did I just say? Um, <laughs> I want a conversation with her. And God wants to speak with us, but he's speaking with us to move us from the place we are to the place that he wants us to be. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message. And this is incredible. When we decide we're going to be obedient, he says from the Lord, I'm with you. One of the most comforting things is not how it's going to turn out or how it's going to end. Will, will, will everything turn out the way I hope it will? Will everything turn out well? The promise is that when we obey God, he promises to be right there with us. 
Isn't that something? When I begin to move on the vision and the purpose that God has for me, the most comforting thing that I can know is that he's with me. When I, when I prepare, listen, even me, I mean, I'm not Superman. When I preach a message, when I prepare a message, the most comforting thing to me is not when you say amen, it's knowing that he's here with me. That, that because, you know, at, at this point, everything in me needs to die and God needs to speak through you. You don't need to hear Shannon, you need to hear God. So my prayer is, Lord, just be with me. Just speak to the people. Just meet them where they need to be. God will never be absent where obedience is present. He'll never leave you just out there by yourself, even when you feel like you are. You're like, God, I obeyed you. I moved in faith. I did this. Now what? And sometimes he's whispering to you, not with all the answers you want, but just, I'm with you. I'm with you. So the Lord sparked, and here we go, passion. The Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Joshua, the son of Josetek, the high priest, and the enthusiasm, see how many it is there? Three times, enthusiasm. Well, I just don't get excited about much. You need to get excited about Jesus and his work. He sparked the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. Can you imagine that? An entire collection of God's people with a heart that has been stirred to do what he called them to do. How many of you, it's one thing when one person is excited about something, but what, don't you feel like you can just conquer mountains when you got somebody else who's just as impassionate about it as you are? Think about it in your own house when you're excited about something, but nobody else is. You feel like you're out there by yourself. But man, when you get a hold of the fact that God wants to use the local church to save somebody's life, to change somebody's life, to see somebody's marriage restored, to see some children, somebody's children come back home and grow up to be strong men and women of God. When you get excited about that and somebody else is excited with you, you can't stop the purposes of God in his community. It shouldn't be just you know, somebody, one person gets healed. Everybody should be excited. Enthusiasm. The whole remnant of the people. And they began to work on the house of the Lord their God. On September 21st of the second year of King Darius. So all of their enthusiasm of everybody sparked. Then they started working. Say this with me. Lord, stir me up. Purpose can only be accomplished with passion. Only be accomplished with passion. If you really see people who fulfill the purpose that God has for their life, you'll notice in, in almost all of them, everybody, they are passionate about what they do. Sometimes to the point where they get on your nerves. A really passionate person will get on your nerves sometimes because they're always talking about what God put in their heart to do. And sometimes you'll be like, man, pastor, I really would wish you would be, stop talking about church. Well, he kind of called me to And you get around, you know, you, you, you women who have other girlfriends and, you, you know, you meet this guy and you start talking about him every time. And, and your friend is like, man, I wish he would stop talking about so-and-so. <laughs> She's passionate about it. What are you passionate about? What does it take to spark your fame and light your fire? Got to ask those questions. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heavens. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will be able to stand in Zerubbabel's way. It'll become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, my God, bless it. May God bless it. We're spiritual people. 
we have to pursue spiritual purposes. We've got to be passionate about something other than me, my four, and no more. It's not always easy to teach something like this or preach something like this, but if you really want to move in everything that God has for you, then you've got to get some concern that's outside of you. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation, and he will complete it. Then you will know that I am the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. God always finishes what he starts. That needs to be the encouragement for somebody. He didn't just bring you out here to leave you. He didn't just call you out here to leave you. He didn't just bring you out here and walk you out to the place that you are right now to leave you hanging. God always finishes what he starts. And you need to understand something else. No matter how the book of your life has been written up to this point, you have a God that always writes the final chapter. It needs to be encouraging to somebody because you're like, man, I started this and now I don't know what to do. Lord, what do I do? My situation is hard. Get passionate about the things of God again and watch him start to take care of everything else. It's all about putting everything in its proper place. One of the hardest things to preach is on priorities because people have, most of them have them set already. And it's very difficult to come in and say to somebody, you know what, your number one really should be number 10. And your number 10 should be number one and your two through nine shouldn't even be on the list. For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the ocean and the dry land, and I'll shake all the nations, and the treasure of all the nations will be brought to this temple, and I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heavens. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than the past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and in this place I will bring peace. All the resources we need, God says they're mine. All the resources you need to do everything that God has called you to do, he says they belong to me. So the point is when we get aligned with him and we're connected to him, we won't have a resource problem. We have a resource problem when we're not connected properly. Y'all grasping this? I don't want to lose anybody with this. This is so important. Um, and, and, and so it requires me to actually teach it and dig up old mindsets and mindsets that are just plain wrong. Say it's not about me. I promise you that you'll be able to celebrate the next three messages. <laughs> but this, has, this is foundation here that we have to have or we won't understand the rest of it. Every, it. When we get to the point that we realize that every single thing in this world is not about me, then God can begin to do things in our life. Why? Because when he puts things in our hand, we'll hold them loosely. Knowing that the gift that he gives to me is not really for me, but it's for you. Some of y'all missed that already. If you have a gift of encouragement, do you realize that's not for you? It's for the person who's getting ready to give up. <laughs> but if you think it belongs to you, you'll keep it when they need it. <sighs> y'all missed that already. The person who came through a, a relationship struggle and they made it out on the other side and had their relationship restored. That wasn't just for them. It's for the person who's going to need it two years from now. Say, God, thank you for what you've given me. But I know it's not for me. Look at what's happening to you. Before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple, before you put God first, when you hoped for 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons on the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked for. 
Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the house, the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. So he's telling us, look, when you didn't do what I asked you to do, look what happened. And now he's saying to you, now that you've laid the foundation, in other words, when God calls us to obedience, we think that we got to have everything figured out. And sometimes, watch this, all he's asking us to do, repeat after me, start. All he's asking you to do is start. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to figure that out. That's okay. Just start somewhere. And he'll take care of the rest. He says, I'm giving you a promise now. Now that you've started, I got a promise for you. While the seed is still in the barn, you have not yet harvested your grain or your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, and this is what you need to underline if you didn't hear anything else I said. From this day onward, I'll bless you. He's saying, you, you, my people, you messed up. You had wrong priorities up to this point. For years, you had wrong priorities. But when you start to do what I ask you to do, from the point that you decide that you want to be obedient and put me first, from this point on, I'll bless you. Say this with me, my yesterday doesn't matter anymore. Some of us can't start today because we are chained to yesterday. And every time, just bow your heads, I want to talk to you for a minute. Because some, some of you come in here, and what happens is, is God begins to reveal things to us. But what happens to us is we begin to rehearse everything we did wrong. Every way we got it wrong, every way we messed up. But the reality is, is that what matters is not what I did wrong, but where is he taking me now? As we prepare to, to worship, I don't have something deep for you today. My, my encouragement in all of this, in laying this foundation for Hartford House, is that you put God first. You can wave your hands, you can sing, you can clap, you can cry, but if he's not first, nothing will happen. As a pastor, I get an opportunity to listen to phone calls and text messages and emails. And a lot of times, and this, without, this is just the way life is, a lot of times you can drill it down to the same thing. Where is God in all of this? Pastor, my relationship is, is in shambles. I don't know what to do. And me as a pastor praying for you, I'm thinking, where, where, is, where is God in all of this? My job's messed up. My, my home's messed up. And I'm praying before I respond to you. I'm like, God, where are you in this? What would you want to say? in this situation and then other people God gave me this vision he gave me this for my life I want to do this okay is he first if he's first it'll work how's it going to work how am I going to get this how are we going to do that no 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 don't worry about that
last two weeks, if I'd be honest with you and transparent with you as a pastor, the last two weeks as a pastor, I've heard more bad news about things happening to people than I've probably heard the whole year. This is going on in my life, and that's going on in my life. I don't know what to do. My encouragement to you is first that God didn't, it, none of it took him by surprise. What you need, I don't know who this is for, but what you need from God will be there when you need it. You just keep walking. The encouragement you need will be there when you need it. The resources will be there when you need it. If you're here right now, and you be honest and say, Pastor, I, I came in discouraged today. I was, I was, I had came in with questions for God. I just discouraged about a lot of different things. If you be honest, nobody's looking around. Just wave your hand, in, 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 just so I can see. Amen. Thank you for being transparent, honest. Thank you, thank you. The second group of people, I'm still trying to see a way in all of this. I can't. I, I know God has something for me, but I can't figure out how, how it's going to work out. If that's you, hands up quickly, just up and then put them back down. just want to know who I'm praying for. Right. You know, we sang that song earlier, that he's a way maker. <laughs> he's a miracle worker. All those things are well, but I like that, that other thing. He's a promise keeper. A light in the darkness. I want to encourage you that as you believe in God in the midst of your discouragement, to just tell him, God, you can have it all. Take all my worries, take all my cares, take all my fears, take all my concerns. You can have it all. Stand to your feet. We're going to worship with one last song. I'm going to come back and pray. Once you get the words, I want you to sing it with all your heart. And why, why do you ask us to do this at the end, Pastor? Why do you ask us to, to do this? I need somebody to touch me or lay hands on me. Sometimes what you need to do in the midst of your storm, in the midst of the questions you have for God, is to just worship. Learn how to worship in the middle of it. And he'll take care of it. See, some, some of you will go home today and it'll be taken care of. This week, some of y'all will get to Wednesday and it'll be handled. Right now, as I preached, and I'm talking to you now, you, you, you're anxious trying to figure out how, how it's going to happen. And he said, you know what, just get to Thursday. If you can get to Thursday without giving up, there'll be something in your mailbox. If you can get to the Thursday, the doctor will have a different report. I don't know why I feel Thursday in my heart so much. Somebody's going to get something on Thursday. Miracle. Encouragement. Blessing. Favor. Before they sing, I'm just going to do this one last thing. If you be honest and say, I, I need a miracle this week. Raise your, no, no need to bow your head or anything. Just put your hand up. 
Say this week. Say it like you mean it. Say this week. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're getting ready to offer you our worship. I pray for everyone who's lifted their hands that they need you to move this week. They need a miracle this week. I set my faith in agreement with them right now that as they prioritize you, if they made decisions in their heart to prioritize you first this day, Lord, that you move this week in their life, that they have a miracle by Thursday. That you shift things. Things will go in one direction, but God, you can step in and move them a different one. Thank you for the miracle of their life. Lord, lift up their bowed down heads. Encourage them in the name of Jesus. And when they see it happen, let them remember this moment. Not me, but let them remember that you met them here this moment. And that you don't fail to keep your promises. Father, position our hearts and our minds right now to receive from you. As we worship, we're opening our hearts and our minds to receive what you have. We're laying down every care. We're laying down every concern. We're laying down every struggle. We're laying down every sickness at the feet of the cross. And Lord, we determine that when we walk out of here, we won't pick it up again. It's all yours. And we praise you. And this worship, Lord, receive as a down payment on our faith believing that you'll move on our behalf. In Jesus' name.